0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live.
1: Hello, welcome to another edition of Teachers Talk Radio, and for one of an actually giving a show a title, the Faking Being Normal Club. Today we're looking at Autistic Masking, and with me, I had the great match with me as well, as G Cannot Make It, but we are joined by the actually awesome common aficionado, a.k.a. Pete Warnby. So today we are looking at autistic masking. Um So first question has got to be, what is autistic masking? Well, t- and this is taken from uh, autism.org um, to mask or to camouflage means to hide or disguise parts of oneself in order to better fit in with those around you. It's an unconscious strategy that all humans develop whilst growing up in order to connect with those around us. Now, masking may involve suppressing certain behaviours we find soothing um, or that others think are, uh, you know, quote-unquote weird, such as stimming or intense interests. Uh, it can also be mimicking the behaviour of those around us such as copying non-verbal behaviours and developing complex social scripts to get by in social situations. Um, With well, this comes a great need to be linked like others and to avoid the prejudice and judgment that comes from being seen as quote marks, different, and I'm not going to lie, it is incredibly, incredibly tiring, uh, undeniably. So today I want to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, why autistic people do it, um, how teachers can actually notice it happening, and how educators can actually support uh, children, young people in, you know, in their schools with it, what can be done. Um, but so I am going to go from there. Heather's hopefully going to join in now, in a second. So our qu- our key questions, oh, Pete Wombie's actually entered the live studio as well. Uh, Heather's joined, so hopefully they'll dial in in a second. Our key questions, i like to pre-warn people uh, much as I can, are going to be um, well, talking about what autistic masking is, obviously enough. How is it for you? Because you meet one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. How it is for everyone a bit different, uh, and what advice should we give for a I've written down the word normie, that's probably need a better word than that, normie teacher in notice and masking. Um, so, on that note there, um, if Peter or Heather want to like join in or dial in or press the correct button, I think Peter's not got headphones. I've just realized I haven't put my headphones in either. Ah, there we go, invite. Pia, is that you? It
2: is, yeah. Is that okay without the headphones or is it giving us horrible feedback?
1: No, it sounds pretty good to me actually. It's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's good. That's good. Oh. Hello. Welcome to the uh, welcome to the show. Um thanks for joining us. I appreciate you know, you're busy. You've got a book and everything coming out, haven't you?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's been um things have quietened down a little bit now. Um it was about three weeks ago. No, where are we now? At, no, it's November now, isn't it? So it's been yeah, it's been like a month and a half um since the book came out so things are a bit more relaxed but yeah it's been it's been very busy oh actually do
1: you want to like tell us a bit about yourself before we kind of dive in
2: yeah yeah sure um so yeah i'm 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 pete warmby obviously um i'm a an ex teacher these days um i taught my last <laughs> my last lesson in a school what back in 2020 i think because of the pandemic and then i finally quit in about april 21 um but I've been teaching English teacher uh for thirteen years at that point. Um been head of department and all that kind of stuff that you do, you know. Um and these days I, I write and I do talks and I, you know, just try and spread the word about autism a little bit. That's that's kind of my life these days.
1: Yeah, it's kinda of, it's kinda of funny because I obviously to invite you on a show and I realised that when I messaged you, I'd messaged you ages ago, uh and the message I wrote you was, um Hey, a lot of things you post resonate with me. Um, I've got myself on the back of an got myself onto an ASD assessment on the back of what of reading your stuff. Um, oh, great. Right. Yeah, and the latest warning about masking really, really resonates. So mm. that was like, wow. That was what I was like, God, that I think that must have be been during lockdown, I guess. December well maybe not, December twenty nineteen? Wow, a long time ago. Yeah, it was um, <laughs> God, just before yeah.
2: lockdown, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Heather, are you there? It's breaking up for you a bit. Heather? No. Okay. Peter, are you still there?
2: I am. Yes. <laughs> yep.
1: Oh, okay. Excellent. Cool. I can always talk about Heather then. She's going to sort it out in some way. Um, yeah, that's fine. So, so, um, right. Autistic masking. Um, obviously it's the idea that you kind of like hide away who you are. Um, and I didn't realize until I was diagnosed how much of it I actually do. Um, But for you, what's it like for you? I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go to the um, news quickly.
0: This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.wetherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more.
3: If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
3: The Christian Institute website reports that MPs have backed a push to ensure that state schools in England uphold the legal requirement to teach religious education, which in most cases reflects the centrality of Christianity. MP Martin Vickers led a Westminster debate on the issue and drew attention to the National Association of Teachers of RE on the Department for Education 2021 school workforce census. The census revealed that one in five schools did not teach RE at all in year 11, despite being required to do so by law. An average of 10% of schools gave no time to RE in the years seven, eight or nine. MP Nick Fletcher said that, without an understanding of Christianity, It is not possible to understand the foundations of our institutions and laws or British culture. He went on to outline that other religions should be properly recognised in the preparation of RE syllabus, but that RE needs to recognise the particular place of Christianity in Great Britain. Mr Fletcher cited other demands placed on schools and failures by Ofsted to hold schools to account as the reason for letting RE slip. In response, Nick Gibb, a minister in the DfE, said all mainstream state-funded schools are required to teach RE. Schools that are not are acting unlawfully or are in breach of their funding agreement. He also added that collective worship was an important part of school life. Mr Gibb further reiterated the government's commitment to mandatory collective worship and RE, but also a parent's right to withdraw their children from the subject. Earlier this year, a judge ruled that exclusively Christian RE lessons in Northern Irish primary schools is unlawful, after a legal challenge was launched. The decision is being appealed as it dismissed the parents' right to withdraw their child from these lessons. In Lincoln, the Investigate Learning team at Lincoln Castle have been recognised for the outstanding learning programme they offer schools, colleges and universities. The Sandford Award recognises museums, galleries and historic buildings that offer the very best programmes aligned with the National Curriculum. This year, the castle has welcomed around 8,000 pupils and students, teaching them about the medieval monument's history. The Sandford Awards Lead Assessor described the insight the programme offers as unique and compelling. The programme covers a series of locally and nationally significant history, ranging from the medieval world and Magna Carta to the treatment of prisoners in Victorian England, bringing it vividly to life in a way that resonates with learners. In a recent news report on Teachers Talk Radio, we covered the Global World Skills Competition, which is taking place in various countries across the globe. This past week, the UK was hosting for the first time in over 10 years. Competitors have travelled from around the world to compete in aircraft maintenance and manufacturing in Cardiff and Wrexham finalists had the opportunity to visit various places of interest in the local areas, including countryside, museums and an old coal mine. These young competitors have been training for the last three years to win medals and showing off their skills. The UK entrants feature homegrown Welsh talent, with George Denman from Swansea telling FE Week how he hopes competing in world skills will be a huge boost to his career, because it teaches key skills like coping under pressure, working as a team and time management finally, new research reveals the impact of accent on social mobility. The latest report from Accent Bias in Britain project, led by Queen Mary University London's Professor Deviana Sharma, reveals that more than a quarter of senior professionals from working class backgrounds have been singled out in the workplace for their accent. The project examines the impact that someone's accent has on their journey through education and into the workplace. Professor Sharma says the research shows that accent-based discrimination actively disadvantages certain groups at key points. This creates a negative cycle reinforcing anxiety and marginalisation. The report recommends that action should be taken to diversify the workplace to ensure a range of accents is prevalent in organisations. Further details of the report can be found on the Queen Mary University of London website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox.
1: Okay, we're back. Hello. So, Heather, how for you, what is autistic masking like?
4: Um, As a teacher, I would say it's... I've just been thinking about this before the show, and I was thinking, in a way, it's it's kind of essential for the job. You know, you have to um, put on a persona. uh, And there's probably a number of advantages. I mean, the fact that if a student is really winding you up and the fact, you know, if you're able to put on a really calm face, that's that's actually a really good thing because, you know, what you don't want is to show your bubbling up emotions um, in a lesson. Um, on the other hand, I think, I think with me, it's mainly masking around colleagues, um, you know, from a social point of view. And it's about, you know, having to use all of your scripts for your interactions around school and, you know, you're okay and how was your weekend and everything (laughs) I think that's the thing that is probably um a thing for me um I think before I realized I was autistic I found it really really awkward just walking past a colleague on the corridor you know especially if it's someone who I don't work immediately with it's, it's that thing of someone going all right and you're like what does that mean? Is it a question? Am I supposed to answer? Is that just hello? Um, That was all a bit bewildering. Um, So yeah, I think, you know, in the classroom, it's a good thing. um, On the whole. Um, And then you've got your interactions around school. Um, I think I've become, you know, when it comes to like, stimming and fidgeting, I've become a lot more brazen about I will be doodling in staff meetings and if anyone's got a problem with it, if anyone's got a problem with it, that's fine, because my line manager is always aware, well, for the last few years, at least, you know, my line managers have been aware. So I kind of feel that a little bit of reassurance of knowing that if somebody did think I was being rude, then hopefully, you know, we would be able to sort that out Um, because I really do have to doodle in staff meetings because especially, you know, your, your typical, two hour twilight inset when you're listening to a speaker it's it's uh, pretty tough oh going yeah. It's yeah
1: Really tough going. i'm aware now that i've basically around basically around like any member of staff that's a teacher or any like any member of staff i've just given up masking now i've realized that now um mm. that would involve me just either a being constantly in motion or if i'm like and i and i didn't realize it wasn't quite normal but, um, I've got a thing whereby I've, I've got, I think really hard. I end up basically rubbing my head against the wall, um, oh, really? which, yeah. in a kind of like, it's just something I do now and no, no one ever, no one ever comes upon it. It's just my, it's my thinking motion. I'm literally just, cause I've got, I've got a stand up desk because I'm not very good at
4: yeah.
1: staying still. Oh,
4: that's
1: um, good. There. yeah, nice one. um, so yeah. So basically whenever I'm thinking hard, I end up just putting my head against the wall and just rocking it back and forth. Um, which people just
4: how long have you had the how long have you had the stand-up desk for? did you did you feel a real benefit once you once you've changed over
1: yeah, oh yeah about four years about oh. four years four years now yeah it's kind of followed me around different offices and different places but yeah it's really helpful um and think about it now when i was planning this particular session i started thinking about you know quote unquote being out as a teacher as being autistic mm. Um, or being neurologically untypical. Um, yeah. I mean, Peter, were you ever like, you know, it's now like going off on a completely different tangent, but that's kind of what we end up doing. Were you ever out, quote unquote, as being autistic when you were a teacher?
2: Um, yeah, yeah, pretty oh, you're much. Yeah, again now. Brilliant. Oh you can. Okay. Yeah. Uh yeah, pretty much from the get go. I I was really excited by my diagnosis, you know, because it had explained so much, you know, about how I viewed the world and it just made so much sense that I was um I was kind of immediately very open with everyone at work. Um students, <laughs> the colleagues, my you know, SLT, everybody, you know. And um yeah, yeah, I, I, looking back it might not have been the best thing to do. Um but but yeah, I was out, you know, for, for as long as I was uh, diagnosed, I was I was completely openly autistic at work. Yes, um, but like I say, I'm I'm not sure I would necessarily recommend being quite that open. Um, but but yeah, <laughs> like I say, I was excited, I was you know enthusiastic. I mean, Heather, you me out. Pete.
4: yeah, well, I'll just I'll just say first of all that, that Pete reminded me of um, my daughter who got diagnosed at age eight and marched into the school playground and told everyone she met, (laughs) like, I'm autistic and so is my mum, which is (laughs) horrible. Um, It was much more, um, much more gradual for me, um, especially because there were a number of years where I kind of knew I didn't have the official diagnosis yet. Um, So there were were kind of those years. And then there was, I was diagnosed in 2019. Yeah, just before COVID happened. Uh, And I started by telling my head and a member of SLT who was mental health lead, who I knew would be supportive, and then I think I told because I used to be head of English. I told my English team, um, and at my, in my current role that I've been in since September, I, you know, I, I literally mentioned it on my application form because you know by that point, you know, a few years down the line, I was like, right, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go for it now. Um, but in terms of like the whole school, I just kind of. I've always kind of hoped that it's like a drip drip sort of approach because I, you know, some people, I remember talking to somebody on um, on my course at, at Sheffield and somebody was advised to send like a, you know, a whole staff email. She wasn't a teacher, but I was like, no, that would be really awkward. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's terrible advice. Yeah. So, so what I do in my current school now is it's like if it seems relevant, I'll drop it into the conversation and kind of is relevant a lot of the time because my new role is leading um, a resource provision for autistic kids so it's quite natural a lot of the time to mention oh yeah and i'm autistic as well sort of thing so that's quite nice um but i remember telling um colleague at my previous school and she was very much like oh yeah that doesn't surprise me (laughs) which is the best response that you want really isn't it it's like oh cool yeah you knew already that's fine um so yeah it was, more, it was definitely more gradual for me um, and I, I, it was quite nerve wracking in some ways I think probably most of all I was I don't know why i worried about the um, the parents like you know I was worried if the parents might have perceived me I get that in a bit. negative way because yeah it's, it's much more of an unknown you know you, you know at your school what you know what kind of autism training people have had um, but you know you don't know with the parents what they know and what misconceptions they might have but it's never been you know it's never come up as an issue um if anything i'd say looking back before i was diagnosed there were times when there were definitely times when parents had thought i was being rude or abrupt and i think i had to really work on my phone call technique like oh yeah, um, yeah I'd you know i'd ring up to discuss something like homework or you know i don't know what and because it was only afterwards i got some feedback from a, you know a member of SLT that said oh don't forget when you call to say oh don't worry your child's fine it's not an emergency um because i it never occurred to me that that might be their first response i mean it certainly is now i have kids this is pretty good it's my first response if i get a call from my school is like you know have they hurt themselves so i had to kind of like learn specifically to be told you know to do that or at least put on like a a calm and pleasant tone of voice Rather than my default tone of voice, which is a bit, I don't know, possibly monotone, not sure. Um, and yeah, there was one time when a parent, you know, said I was being, I don't know what it was, rude, abrupt, negative, or something, when I had no intention of doing so. So I'm much more conscious now of my, my tone of voice and my scripts and, and things like that.
1: Yeah, I've got um, I've got some really fairly well developed scripts for talking to parents or talking to anyone yeah. actually. Um, and it is that kind of like hi not a bad thing just ringing you because like, oh my god I'm saying it out loud now yeah and I can just hear the intonation of in my voice completely change You know?
4: and, and I kind of kicking myself looking back now because for, for quite a few years as a student I literally worked in a call center so everything was scripted literally everything and so you know it's not like I was not used to making phone calls because that's uh, that's what I did for my student job, and for a year afterwards, I worked in a call centre. So, I didn't quite manage to transfer <laughs> transfer that across. So it was just really awkward.
1: I remember, I remember being like doing my work experience, sort of year ten, and having to make phone calls for this little bookshop, and they got so many complaints because I was just so oh no. autistic down the phone at people. Basically, it's what like, you haven't yeah. done this thing that you meant to do. Saying so, like, and then then after the next day, they were just like, "Let's just let's just have you." doing something different okay
4: yeah I didn't
1: (laughs) yeah and that was basically me just like happily like putting covers on the books um but I guess I I love that work experience um oh god so long ago um so Pia I mean you're now out of the teaching game Mm. um you know uh and now in the I guess writing game I don't
2: know. Yeah, I, I, that's certainly how <laughs> I focus on the writing. You know, it's, it's, it's the thing that I prefer, I think, of uh, everything that I do now. Um, but when you
1: were masking, yeah. like... Uh, oh, I mean, do you still mask? I suppose that's a different question, is it? Do you still mask?
2: Um, well, I mean, you know, I work primarily from home now, you know, so not so much, I guess. Um, but every time I do pretty much anything with, you know other people <laughs> i think i i think i probably still mask yeah yeah for sure i mean i've i've never kind of uh, sat well you don't really sit down and do it but i've never really you know conscientiously tried to unlearn how to mask um it's and it's so deeply embedded for me you know after all these years that I, i'm not even sure how how i wouldn't if that makes sense i, I don't even know how yeah. to stop it you know um i guess that I guess the closest kind of I, I can see to what it is to not mask is to imagine what I'm like when I'm just on my own or when I'm with people very, very close to me and how different I am then compared to when I'm at work or, you know, talking to other people. And and there is a difference. You know, I'm less likely to stim. I'm um, more likely to kind of, um, you know, appear to be chatty and open and all of these kind of things you know whereas in my natural state i'm i'm very very introverted indeed you know very very um quiet and never really wanting to you know say anything or anything like that um so so yeah i I think you know like even now i i know i'm doing it now i know i am you know this is not my natural state of being you know this tone of voice this this is my this is my phone voice you know this is this is my, my 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 work voice you know it's very different to how i talk normally i think and um when i'm doing you know when i'm delivering talks to organizations or when i meet people you know in my kind of role as a writer yeah I'm, I'm very much still wearing that mask I don't think I'll ever be able to get rid of it you know I think it's um I don't even know how to you know
1: yeah I did uh, I think I agree yeah I did because I'm because I spent so long constructing my different personas effectively or the yes. different aspects of myself in such a mechanical way that I can put them down sometimes but then the worry becomes i put them down and what is there behind behind the layers does that make sense yeah
2: yeah well the, i mean the, the, the biggest fear for me and it's, like, it's like it's like an existential dread that i get yeah. sometimes which is you know who who who, who on earth am i like, you know, what what is the personality underneath it all? You know, because I remember when I, when I was first starting to moot the idea of being autistic, talking to my partner, and we were talking about how it seemed that I'd kind of constructed, you know, like you said, mechanically constructed my mask out of snippets of fictional characters. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, so things like tones of voice and uh, idioms that I use and gestures and body language and all this kind of stuff. A lot of it you could kind of trace back to uh, to characters from TV shows and and books and that kind of thing. Tom Hardy. Sorry? For me, it was Tom Hardy. Tom hardy really <laughs> nice. yeah. for me it was um it was the character of jim from the office you know the american version
1: oh yes yep yep,
2: yep. Uh, i don't know what you know for some reason a lot of his characterizations i just kind of absorbed that was quite late in life you know i mean that didn't come on until i was like 22 or something but um but yeah and and it just leads you to wonder what on earth what what's left behind all of that is there even anything there <laughs> you know like what what's my true personality do i even have one and that's that's a very disturbing thought and i think uh, you know, from talking on Twitter and talking to other autistic people, I think it is something that does concern some of us some of the time. Um, you know, it's, it's quite disturbing, <laughs> really, when you think about it. It, it is. And I think. I think the difference between obviously ev- everyone,
1: you know, neurologically, quote, you know, not divergent people, mm. that thing of basically to go out and hang out with people, and you, you're that mix of your seven people you hang out with the most, or whatever the phrase is. Um, but if you're autistic, it seems to be so much more of a mechanical thing that happens, or it's mm. maybe not a natural thing. So effort has a, a greater cognitive requirement to do it.
2: Yeah, I, I think I think that the load that it takes, the energy that it requires to maintain it, um, it it's like acting. You know, so it's like Heather said towards the beginning. You know, teachers kind of, you know, teachers are interesting because a lot of what we do is an act anyway you know whether, oh, yeah. you're, whether you're autistic or not you know you, you're on stage aren't you in front of the class and you're doing your thing you know and and you know all, all school children remember from when they were t- kids you know that their teachers were very different you know when you got to speak to them normally when you saw them in in town you know in the shop or whatever yeah. you know like mr gilbert in the in-betweeners you know <laughs> with, with his teddy bear you know it's it is it's you know it's a very different kind of persona but i think for autistic people because it's so much more intense and because you're doing it the whole day you know even when with your colleagues and you know everything else that um it it, it requires an awful lot of energy and uh, that there comes a point of course where you can't maintain it anymore you know where where the mask might slip a little bit you know and 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 you might show yourself a little bit um you know either a meltdown perhaps or or, you know, in any other way, uh, that can be quite alarming, perhaps, for the people around you when they finally kind of see what you're kind of, hold, you know, tucking away. If you yeah, holding hold back or holding together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. i tell you a big thing for me is um,
4: I find music that's remotely emotional just makes me cry so easily, even if it's not a song with personal significance to me. The the moments where I feel like the mask is going to slip is like in assembly, and there'll be like some cheesy motivational video with some very cheesy music that still makes me cry.
2: I'm I'm exactly the same. (laughs) Yeah, the number of times that I've had to kind of hide that my eyes are filled with tears.
4: Oh my god, god, you know. Like this week, I had there was actually a really lovely moment this week where um, a student. um, who I work with uh, was was doing um a gymnastics performance so the lovely TA had come up to say, you know, come and watch this amazing student and, and you know, they were absolutely amazing. But it was um I think it was Feel by Robbie Williams and I was like, Oh God, I'm welling up. <laughs> you know, I need to put on a smile and like show that I'm here to support them. And it's like, oh it was yeah, it was stressful. And I just don't know how I don't know whether you know, I don't know whether breathing might help with it or something. But it's just yeah, for me that's when I've never had a meltdown in school, well, maybe one or two very privately. Um,
1: but that's to me when I feel the mask slipping and it's hard. Mm. it's hard. I mean, uh, yeah, I, 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 it's interesting about emotions, but like, I don't really experience many emotions. I don't know if that's just how I am anyway, default, or it's just because of like a thought of things that happened to me over my childhood. I've just put them into a very small, very deep box somewhere behind all the layers. Which when you say that out loud sounds a bit I don't know, not normal I guess. Um, I
4: don't think so. I think yeah, I think a lot. You know, knowing as we probably do know that autistic people are more vulnerable to, you know, trauma, um, you know, complex trauma and and we respond to things like Bereavement in different ways, I think it probably probably relate to that. And yeah, you probably don't know. I, I don't know where these emotions come from. I don't know why I feel the need to cry when a vaguely emotional song comes up. So there's probably something there, you know, deep down. But then there's alexithymia as well, you know, maybe you're having emotions that you're not aware of or you can't name. It's all, it's all a complex picture, oh, isn't it? I don't know that one. Yeah, it's no, all right,
1: awesome. Like my Alexis. Alexis. Lexus dived in there. Bless Alexa. Um, I think about it. So I remember sometimes when I have cried, but I haven't felt anything. So I remember I was like, like not feeling sad, but when I'm crying, I'm like, I don't understand. Tears are coming out, but there's no like emotion. You know that? Um, but yeah, that's just me. Um, so, um, if you've got a... So, I think a lot of it, what we're talking about basically is autistic people mask because... Society, the system, the world is not set up for us in a kind of baseline operating way. So my bigger thing and thing I'm thinking about now is my ongoing project at work, or one of them, is like creating an environment where kids don't have to mask. Um, although how you do that, that's the, you know, the complex question. So uh, any ideas?
2: Well, I mean, one of the interesting side effects of me being so, like, ridiculously open about uh, being autistic as a teacher when I was in the classroom was that with a very particular set that I had, it was year 11, you know, GCSE boys, you know, as we called them, you know, bottom set, you know, the whole bottom set kind of um, Oh yeah. <laughs> what's the word um you know how how, how poorly they viewed by the rest of the school you know um you know viewed as the difficult group and all the rest of anyway um you know so there were, there are a fair few autistic lads in there um but because i was kind of almost like flamboyantly autistic in that room and i was quite open and happy to talk about it as well you know um should one of the students ask or whatever it might be um or if they noticed me doing something weird like you know reading about trains while they were doing their exam or something um then then it it gradually meant that the autistic kids in the group really opened up about their, their experience too um a bit like you see autistic people chatting on twitter you know and so so i would say something about you know how i really hated strong smells you know and perfume or something and maybe you know make a jokey comment about how you know i struggle in the staff room because you know so many people are wearing aftershave and perfume and stuff and 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 i'd find that you know there's a couple of the kids who might otherwise be pretty quiet you know and 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 withdrawn would kind of you know chime up and say oh yeah you know i hate that too and you know, oh, I really can't cope with noise or noises or or, or weird tastes or whatever. You know, and it, it really opened up this sort of environment. But the most fascinating thing about that experience for me was that the the non-autistic kids were just sort of fascinated by it in a really kind of non-judgmental way. They they just and and they kind of get involved and join in and be like, oh well, you know, I have that a little bit. Is it a bit like that? And you know, it, it was it was really heartwarming. You know, really nice thing to experience. Um, it's probably the, the thing that I missed the most, actually. You know, that kind of burgeoning sense of the taboo being removed. You know, that they actually it's okay to talk about being autistic rather than having to, you know, keep it keep it you know, locked away or, or or you know the word itself being viewed as a kind of you know slur term or something like that. So that that was really nice.
1: Well, that is nice. I think
2: one of the things I have done
1: is slowly totally, was a phrase, there's a phase in my school where that word was used as a slur term and it's now stopped. Good. Um not not that I'm out, I like you know, with the majority of kids, but oddly enough the kids who were using a slur term, I have said to them, look, I'm autistic. And they're like, oh um and then it stopped. which is an interesting kind of Yeah. I do I do wonder if I need to be like you know, more open about it. But I don't know. I'm not there yet, I don't think.
2: Yeah, yeah. But you know. Um I
4: had a I had a really lovely moment um recently when I've I've been reading um a kind of spark um to my, you know, small group of students um during like reading time in the morning. Um and you know we kept on pausing in the first few chapters and saying oh i can relate to that you know talking about difficulties in school and noises and i, I hadn't openly said to any any of them you know i'm autistic because like i said i like to find i like to find an, an, an opportune moment to drop it in but one of them guessed because i had been making comments you know about the character in the story one of them was like miss are you autistic and i was like yeah i am actually you know well done for you know for inferring that so, That was lovely. <laughs> that
1: know, that is that's really nice. Yeah. Um, I was chatting. So randomly, some of my kids at my school actually listen to this podcast. Um,
2: <laughs> they they always find ways to 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 uh, get uh, access to you, don't
1: they? <laughs> yeah. And I, was, I was chatting to one. And someone was like, "You got a podcast?" I was like, "Yeah." You're autistic? Yes. He's like, "Oh, okay." And I, that was the, that was basically the conversation. Um, <laughs> was like, I was like, I just like yeah and i was like you know it's like i was like i can't believe anyone listens to it and she was and she was like yeah you know but yeah kids are i think kids are a lot more accepting of things than adults are um, oh yeah 100% and i think because like they haven't made up um, their mind i think that's really mm-hmm. good and i think i think i would love a world where you could just be kind of like the way you are without like any judgment and any requirement to like change mm. the way you are um but i think i, think obviously I think that's a long just...
4: hmm. i don't know i think i think for me there's kind of a counterpoint to that because one of the things one of the things i do mask is like my overly sarcastic side or my irritable side which i definitely do have you know so i think there's, there's some i don't know whether I don't suppose it matters whether those things are, you know, aspects of me being autistic or not, but I, I do feel like I have to, sometimes. I mean, it's just it's masking and mood you isn't it? I do feel like if I fully unmask, then I don't know if people would, I don't know, if, I don't know if I'd make people feel good. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the counterpoint to it. What do you guys think? I was
1: on, I was on mute there. Um, I think, yeah. My I can be overly blunt at times, he said, um, thinking about all the times he's been really blunt and not realised it. Is that that's just yeah, I basically whenever I talk to anyone about anything like vaguely delicate, I always just go and talk to a member of staff I trust and they give me a script which is um Pia
2: um what what with regarding the yeah i think i think there probably are times i think there's different types of masking perhaps aren't there you know there's masking aspects of our personality that just aren't suitable for the workplace i guess um you know like i've got a very very dark sense of humor and i know that i can't let that rip you know with with year yeah. seven you know <laughs> i might i might be okay with year 13 or year 12 but with year seven you know you, you got to be a bit bit careful um I, and i i get i, I mean it's interesting actually because i think a dark sense of humor is something that a lot of autistic people report having actually but um but anyway Absolutely, it's yeah. yeah it's it's i, th- I think you know the, masking is a is a a kind of natural part it's it's in, so often you know this, this is really where those comments come from of you know that you get from non-autistic people oh well you know i do that so you know maybe you're not that different um you know so much of what autistic people experience is just a kind of ramped up version of what neurotypical people might have a kind of vague idea about or that they might yeah. do themselves a little bit you know, it's just, it's it's kind of explaining just how ramped up that version is, you know, and just how much more intense it is, you know because um, I, I I think that, you know, masking aspects of, of your behaviour is something that probably everyone does from time to time during the day um, you know, autistic or not, it's just, it's just the quantity and how much you're having to hide and also the the, the stakes as well, you know, how, how bad will it be if you don't succeed um, can be an awful lot more intense, I think, for autistic people. Um, you know, the obvious example being, you know, that if you if you were to let it slip and, and to have a full meltdown, like a, a physical meltdown, um, you know, in school, visibly, you know, in, in the corridor, you know, or something like that, then then obviously the, the ramifications of that would be extraordinary. Probably, you know, unless unless your school is very, very, you know, reasonable, um, so so you know, you, you just got to because the stakes are so much higher, you feel the pressure more, um, and and it becomes an awful lot more stressful. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, th- I think I think masking is a bit of a universal thing, but as as is so often the case, it's just an awful lot more for for us, I guess.
1: Oh, that's a really, that's a really interesting, interesting way of looking at it. That kind of like everyone masks but we've just got to mask a lot more um, with far higher stakes. Um, hmm. That's a really good point. I just thinking as well about how, just comparing that, I've, I think sometimes I've noticed that autistic boys uh, mask less. Oh, yes, yeah. Autistic girls, again, looking at stakes, mask a lot more.
2: Mm-hmm yeah i i wonder whether autistic boys can get away with it a little bit more you know because of just the social i mean we're generalizing aren't we but the 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 social dynamic that you know teenage boys tend to have as opposed to maybe what teenage girls have to have to deal with but yeah i mean it's it's a fairly widespread and and well-known thing isn't it that you know the reason why so many girls are missed at school you know for diagnosis is because they're they're masking so well you know and um and, yeah, is that because the stakes are higher? Is that because they've got literally no choice, you know, whereas the boys might be able to get away with it every now and again?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, Heather, what do you think?
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, we do want to kind of challenge the stereotype about it being just girls at maths obviously there are many boys that do. But, you know, certainly in my experience over the years, yeah. Um, you know, that, that, that does seem to ring true. Um, it's been a, what I think is really interesting is, you know, very often in teaching in a class, you get what, at least one or two students who just don't speak in class. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. And I think, you know, for a long time, you know, i kind of like tried to encourage them to sort of, and it, it, you know, it is, to be fair, it is often girls, you know, thinking, certainly in my experience, it is often girls. And you know, for a lot of time in teaching I tried to like, you know, encourage them to come out of their shell and you know, looking back the number of times I said on parents evening, like, oh, you know, they should put the hand up more. Mm-hmm. Um and oh. then, you know, I cringe looking back now because like, you know, why do they need to? And, you know, just just last year, the last GCSE class I taught, um I don't know whether the girl was autistic or not to be fair but it was a, you know it was a very very quiet girl and and she did amazing she got a grade nine you know you don't have to contribute in class to to take everything in um and i haven't i haven't read susan kane's book called quiet all the way through but i've seen a ted talk and you know, that was a real kind of eye-opener even before i realized i was, I was autistic about you know there is there's this you know Conception of how somebody must learn—you know—they must get involved, have discussions, and you know, as teachers, we were constantly told to not let students be passive. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with somebody in class who just doesn't speak, listens, absorbs things, reflects, writes things down—you know—takes on board everything. Um, something that says they have to discuss, you know, work in a group. You know, I abandoned. It's interesting how group work comes up so often on teaching. Oh yeah. But um, I mean, yeah, well, COVID was quite handy, wasn't it? Because during COVID, we were kind of discouraged from doing it. And that was kind of a way for me to go, oh, thank God, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) Um,
4: because I wasn't doing it anyway. You know, sometimes pair work, I think paired paired talk is good. Yeah. The idea of like verbally rehearsing what you're going to write down, that's great. But um, yeah, group work. Mm. I think unless you've got some students who are naturally good at it, then. Yeah, it wasn't really the one for me. I've kind of veered off the topic, of course, a little bit here.
1: No, I mean, that's fine. I mean, I've, uh, Boys
4: and girls, I mean, you know, I'd certainly say that, you know, for my kids, I, I certainly have a girl who masks and I have a boy who doesn't. Um, so, yeah, they, they do kind of fit the stereotype in, in that respect.
1: I have... Yeah, I've got my daughter, number two. We are going to get assessed. Um, and I think she masks quite heavily at school. And then she's just really tired at home, mm. um, which is a concern, which is a worry. But it's kind of like, you know, it's just encouraging. In
4: my, in my training year as a teacher, I'd <laughs> go and do my day at my place at school and just come home and sleep. And then I had to like, you know, sleep from like six till seven and then drag myself up to do my lesson planning. It was uh, pretty intense.
1: Yeah, I get that. I remember my training year. Um, no, it's interesting. I've embraced,
4: I've embraced the nap. <laughs> naps are amazing.
1: Oh, god, yeah, naps are. I mean, it's me showing my age, but I just, yeah, I need a nap. I don't I need my kids to sleep. That's what I really need. Um, <laughs> you know, ten, ten, 10 years now, 10 years of broken. Yeah, I was
4: nap. thinking that the other day, 10, ten years. It's uh, it's, you, you get used to it, but then every now and again, you realize that it's not the same for most people. <laughs> most people do have kids who take themselves to bed go to sleep sleep through the night yeah no
1: no not me either uh, but then you get really tired and because you're so tired you just forget to wear your game face Ha ha, ha. Mm-hmm. and you just say something or do something at work and it's just like oh i shouldn't have said that but at the same time you don't you don't think that thought because you don't realize you said that thing until later on but
4: oh god yeah
1: Yeah. I mean, do you find yourself a lot less tired, Pia, now you're longer a teacher?
2: Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, whoa. I mean, I'm the same. You know, um, one of the reasons I got diagnosed was because of the – exhaustion that i felt with having a child that just would not sleep just wouldn't you know just and still like yourself still a battle even at the age of seven you know it's um it's incredible really um so so yeah i was i was a zombie the majority of the time ever since 2015 you know the last kind of five years of, my, of being a teacher um now you know i i yeah i i stay up i stay up till one in the morning i do you know <laughs> Wow. it's fantastic you know because um i haven't had to expend all that energy you know all, all day long you know of 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 masking and and pretending and um you know forcing myself to small talk and all the rest of it you know i mean, i do things like this i do my occasional talks you know for an hour or so in a day and the rest of the day i'm just you know writing or or you know getting getting organized as best as i possibly can and and yeah it's it's, it's a life changer really um i don't think. I mean, obviously, COVID sped it up, um, but, but but I don't I don't think that I could have continued teaching. I think I think I had hit a wall, for, you know, my own personal kind of capacity, um, just because it was. I don't know. It, everything about it was starting to just you know kind of grind me down and uh, to nothing, you know, um, and, and you know combine that with burnout and then with COVID happening, and I didn't deal with the you know remote kind of teaching at all you know that was very very difficult for me um so so yeah it just it just became untenable really and I've got to be honest you know were I to find myself in a position where I had to go back into the classroom you know you know financial worry or whatever it might be that would be um that would be very frightening I think actually you know just just that feeling of can I can I do this is this something I can still do because I'm not convinced I could you know it's um it became so challenging so difficult on a daily basis that it's not something that i would necessarily want to jump back into
4: i really kind of feel a contradiction of you uh, know just reflecting on covid I, I hated working from home and i you know i i started going back into school deliberately because i couldn't work from home um it's like kind of that contradiction between needing the routine of school and, yeah. and the routine being exhausting so do you feel like you've missed the routine of school
2: or have you just found your own little groove now? You know, I have done, but I did miss it, very much so. Okay. Um, you know, the, the 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 structure to the day that teaching provides, mm. you know, just by its very nature, you know, less, you know, especially in secondary school when you've got your lesson plan, you know, your, your timetable's all set yeah. and break and lunch time are when they are and, you know, yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, I did miss that a great deal, you know, and I found a lot, I think I did, did find a lot of comfort in that, and for the first year or so of you know not being in school, I did struggle uh, enormously, and I, I did find myself kind of looking back fondly at, at that specific aspect of, of the job. But I've 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 carved my own, you know, you, you do, don't you, as an autistic person, you carve your routine into your life, you know, like yes. a, oh like God. A, you know, like a sculptor a almost, you know, and it. yeah, oh, that's and the perfect word yeah and 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 it's hard you know it, it, like like you know like carving a statue it's hard, hard work, and you've got to be imaginative about it and you've got to be creative and find ways that make it work, but I've got a very very set routine now that doesn't really vary too much at all um and and I can now find comfort in that but it was, it was very difficult to to move away from that that comforting kind of the the, the, the warm cuddle of the uh, of the teacher's routine it's like
4: um days when you are burnt out or lacking motivation it kind of forces you through you know you have to you have to you have to get up in the morning yeah you have to get through it yeah. so it's kind of like it just gives you that gives you that push it's it's reminding me of my um dad who you know in my family we recognize he's autistic he's never been diagnosed when he retired you know it was a huge thing it, it took him way more than a year to, to readjust because yeah, we had a have had a working routine for decades, and then all of a sudden it was gone. It was was we a massive, massive transition since Um Yeah, yeah. You know, it's,
1: it's the most, I don't. Yeah, I don't know how I'm going to cope when I retire. Um, I suspect we're probably going to go travelling because, and then it's a completely different routine. Then it's a whole break. Yeah, so. I think
4: I'll very carefully plan it. I think I'll preempt it and try and planet as much as I can, so it's not going from 100 miles an
1: hour to zero. That would be the worst. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that would break me. I may need to kind of like slowly, like work less and less days or something. I'm not quite sure how I'd do that. Um, hmm. So, Peter, you're here for about six, aren't you? Um Yeah. Yes. it's there or so. yeah? Is there anything else you want to talk about or like? um We've got, we kind of talk about them and obviously, as, as invariably happens, we've kind of gone on a different kind of tangent about girls and boys and flipping group work and um, autistic routines. Is there – if you're going to leave us with any particular, like, bon mot of wisdom,
2: what... <laughs> um, Well, I mean, to be honest with you, I, given that this is, you know, this is listened to by teachers, but my, the biggest drum I, I, I you know, keep bashing away at when it comes to education and autism is the um, – is the, the the group work thing that's already been mentioned because you know it, it is such a thing that we're kind of i mean i'm a bit out of the loop now after a year or two out of the picture but you know my entire career group work was held up as being the gold standard you know I remember if you managed that, yeah. to get a bit of group work in there then yeah fantastic you know i remember doing my training you know and we would, you know make sure you do some bit of group work every single lesson and you know even back then before i knew what the deal was with my brain I look back at my own childhood and and how much I hated group work, you know, how much I utterly despised it. You know, I I found it, I found it absolutely intolerable to be, to be pushed together with, with with other kids and and expected to, you know, create something or, 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 or come up with something because, um, because that just didn't work for me, you know. And the trouble is, whenever you say things like, you know, look, teachers, really reconsider group work if you've got autistic students, you in- invariably get the kickback of, well, you know, we've got to prepare them for the real world. And that you, you hear the no same thing.
1: There's no group work in the real world
2: exactly yeah especially given the fact that we are allowed to choose our own careers you know it's not like it's not like adults are you know like farmed and pushed into jobs that they're not suitable for you know i mean sometimes it happens but you know it's really frustrating because it's same with eye contact you know and that whole thing you know well we've got to train them to make eye contact because otherwise you know they're going to struggle as adults and it's like well no let's change the world for the adults as well Let's make it so adults don't expect eye contact either. That's much better than forcing autistic children who are already incredibly vulnerable to you know, push themselves even further into their mask, you know? So, yeah, I would just continue to always shout about the fact that group work is not a panacea for autistic kids, you know, and you're not helping them. Um, you know, I didn't get any better at group work as a result of being forced to do it. I probably got worse, I think, you <laughs> know, to be honest, um, and more resentful and bitter, you know, and twisted <laughs> as I got older, you know, by by that kind of constant being forced to work in these groups. And so, you know, really rethink that. And if, if for no other reason than for the reason that you invariably get that one kid, don't you, when you set up group work, wandering the tables, alone, lost, yes. you know, ignored yeah. by the rest of the class. How can we do that to these poor human beings? You know, it's, it's dreadful. It really is. You know, and, and I mean, I'm not saying that that kid is always going to be autistic because they, they won't be. But in my experience, actually, a lot of the time they were because that's part of autism isn't it you know the social awkwardness and difficulty that you have and um so yeah yeah or if 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 nothing else sticks of what i've said tonight then i would love just one teacher out there to think actually you know what when it comes to my neurodivergent students i'm not going to force them into group work i'll let them work alone if if even one teacher decides to do that then my work is done and i'm happy I
1: I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, oops, I'm gonna put this on like um on Twitter, like you know, when you kind of like record it, I'm gonna put that as a tagline, group oh, work, nice. <laughs> and just watch Twitter melt down.
2: Um, oh, it will, it will. I mean, that's why I, I very rarely ed- engage with the edgy Twitter world these days. It's just, um, my mental health is worth too much to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
4: absolutely fair enough.
2: Yeah, totally. I, I really apart, appreciate apart it. From anything,
4: apart from everything else, it's just the same arguments over and over
2: again. It is. It's it's no different to 2012 when I first started. It's It's still the same stuff. (laughs) But, you know,
1: part of me does find it quite comforting in the same arguments. It's like, oh, here's his argument again. I know this one. I've got the routine down. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say this now. Um, So, yeah. But I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for that. um, No problem. Unlike the the bonfire night of all sleeping nights, I have to (laughs)
4: Oh yeah, I hope, I hope the fireworks at my end haven't been too loud because it is kind of like Beirut here in Manchester. <laughs> window. Oh nice. So, yeah. I've but
1: got um noisy. Yeah, I've got a I've got a bonfire thing to go to myself now, which Ooh. is just I know, I know. I'm just gonna like I've got some earplugs. I'm gonna give yeah. door number two some earplugs as well. So we're gonna be fine. That yeah. yeah. Nice flashy up. Nice. But that's it. But as ever, Peter and Heather, um, thanks so much for joining us. We're ending a bit early today, but I think that's fine. You know, um. It was a, it was a
4: pleasure talking to you
2: both. Yeah, yeah, thank you very much for inviting. Yeah, it's been great.
1: Yeah, and I think is that key message is group work. Please don't make <laughs> us.
2: Yeah, so don't much. don't make me come in there. You know, don't make me come and you know start shouting about it on Twitter again because yeah. oh, it really winds me up. anyway, anyway, thank you very much. Thanks so much. All right,
1: take care, gang. Take see see you. Bye.
2: Bye.
0: Bye.